Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. When's the best time to start planning for college and college admissions? Our current guest says you cannot start too soon. Joining us today is Dr. Peter Mazareas, Chairman Emeritus and one of the founders of the College Savings Foundation, a leading nonprofit encouraging parents to save for their children's education. He is also an advocate for the National College Savings Movement when he testified before the Treasury, IRS, the MSRB, and the SEC officials regarding 529 regulations and helped lobby Congress for its initial passage. He has also worked for Harvard University in their admissions department, interviewing prospective students for admission. Welcome, Dr. Mazareas. Thank you, Jim and Tony. Hey, we're really looking forward to our topic today. I know with this being the beginning of the year, a lot of college seniors are just getting ready. But college planning is something that should start long before someone's senior year of high school. And I know one of the things that you shared with us before we started the program is even understanding the interview process. From what I understand, you have worked at Harvard interviewing potential applicants for that college. What are some things that parents can do to prepare their kids for that process? Well, there are several things parents should be doing early on, well before senior year. Starting in sophomore year, they should be looking at their child's curriculum. Are they taking the right courses for the school that they want to apply to or for the major that they want to pursue? Engineering, for example, you want to take math courses. Secondly, they should start preparing for SATs, either tutorials or taking take-home exams. And then when they get to their junior year, they should visit their colleges and narrow down that field, looking at both the quality of the institution, the proximity if they want to be close to home, but more importantly, their ability to get the child to get into their institution. And finally, the senior year, taking the SATs. And the most important thing is picking the institution that's the best match and also the essays that these institutions require are important because there's so many kids that have the equal ability in many of the top schools. They have 15, 20 kids apply for one slot and those essays and those personal statements and the overall resume of the child is very important. Well, I have a freshman at this point, Peter, and I've been explaining this isn't the year to get comfortable. This is a foundation year. So it's critical coming from eighth grade to start planning now. It is. And both in terms of courses and seriousness, in terms of what kinds of courses, extracurricular activities, what their passion might be. If they're an engineer, they might want to join the physics clubs and do physics projects and internships. If they're artists and they want to be in theater, then they should get involved with their theater group. So it's those kinds of decisions that are very important. It's not always just grades. It's the full profile of the student. Is there a passion? Is there an interest? Is there something special about this child that's different than the nine other kids that we have to review? And in addition to that, it's preparation, both in terms of, I hate to say this, SAT preparation, because a lot of schools require minimum thresholds in terms of SATs. And so particularly math issues, a lot of kids aren't focusing on math, but they need to concentrate on their ability to perform and score well in the SATs. Otherwise, it's a deal breaker. Speaking of that, of course, she was taking it already at eighth grade. That's outstanding. Yeah. That's the kind of planning you have to do. And the other thing is the match of the institutions. And it's kind of early as a freshman. 
But you kind of make an assessment what kind of interest does the child have, what schools might be the best fit, and then start selecting courses and assessing what's real and what's not. Well, I know it's really challenging now to get into the colleges. You talk about a lot of the issues that parents should be starting to think about in grade school already, and not just wait till they're a senior in high school, and, okay, now what college are you going to? They really need to start thinking about that sooner rather than later. But even more important is it's great if you can get into the school, but it's another thing to pay for it. We've seen the reports that the cost of college has been escalating pretty substantially. Can you comment on that? Yeah, unfortunately, college costs continue to rise, oftentimes twice the rate of inflation. In the last 15 years, it's just gone up 68%, and that's non-inflation adjusted, so that's real, real increases. I think that college costs are influenced by both the demand, people are prepared to pay whatever the colleges charge, and that's the marketplace, unfortunately, and colleges continue to charge and charge and charge and they're funded and fueled by easy money, which is federal loans, as well as by great demand, and that's the family's ability and willingness to pay. So what should and can the parents do? Early on, they need to start saving in any instrument that they can save in or they feel comfortable. Of course, we think that Section 529 programs are the most cost-effective, tax-efficient way to save, but any dollar saved is a dollar that's not borrowed and also increases your child's options in terms of college choice. Now, another thing that I think is lacking now, I've got a couple kids in college right now, and another thing I think parents need to be aware of, depending on the school, I know the school my kids are going to, I don't think they're getting the guidance that they should be. It seems like there's not that much concern whether they get done in four years or not. It seems like the counseling advice isn't their understanding when they go in for a student loan, what the impact of that is when they graduate. And then we see the unemployment rate. I've seen it reported that it's maybe as much as 50% for graduates. So here they're graduating from school. They've got a degree in a field where they can't get a job, and now those loan payments are coming due. What can parents do to better prepare their kids to not fall into that trap? That's a serious serious issue now, and everyone is aware that student loans have exceeded total credit card debt in terms of over a trillion dollars, and the average college student is now graduating with over $25,000 worth of student loans, which takes 10, 15 years to pay back. So it's a serious issue, particularly in this economy where students are graduating, not being able to get jobs, and then they're burdened with loan payments, sometimes up to five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars a month. What's interesting is that not only is our students not able to get a job, but secondly, the default rate for federal loans at this point is it's the highest it's been in twenty years. It's somewhere about twelve to thirteen percent. So it's a serious situation. So what can parents do? Again, it gets back to preparing, saving, one. Two, selecting the right institution and having a strategy, meaning if you don't have enough money, maybe you might consider going to a state school or going to a community college for two years and then transferring to a private institution that the son and daughter wants to go to. It's all about managing the resources and matching the aptitude and the career interests of the student. So a lot of institutions will accept students, give them financial aid packages the first year, they'll encourage them to take on federal loans, then they'll gap them the second and third year. So it creates increasing 
dependency on the school once they're there, and the loan levels are very high. So the parent needs to get involved with the financial aid officer at the school from day one, have their face-to-face contact from the day they get admitted, say, okay, if we come to your school and this is the financial aid package we have, if they get one at all, most of the times it's loans, they need to have a face-to-face discussion and make sure that they're looking at what's available, financial aid's available, and also that in future years, if their income doesn't change, that their financial aid packs will stay the same. With my kids, I had a deal with them that we had saved enough that if they wanted to live at home, go to a two-year college, and then transfer the four years you talked about, between that and working a part-time job, they would have had enough money to graduate from college with no debt, assuming they got through it in four years. Well, my kids did not want to live at home because that's not what any of their friends were doing. They insisted on moving out. And I said to them, well, then you're going to have loans to deal with. And they didn't want to go through the math, but it wasn't really registering with them at the time. But now they've accumulated some student loans and they're going to have to face paying those off in the future. And I think from talking to my kids, when they talk about their friends, they didn't even have that discussion with anybody about the impact of these loans. And they just look at it as, okay, I just got to get another loan and another loan and another loan without any regard for what that future impact is. And I think that's going to be a real problem facing this country as we go forward. We're going to take a short break and we come back. Let's talk a little bit more about the tools for saving for college and dig in a little bit deeper to the 529 plan. Please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. I'm Leslie Bibb. Everything changed the day my mother received the awful call that there had been an accident and my father hadn't survived. Suddenly, she was faced with having to raise four girls on her own. But my mom's burden was lessened by my dad's thoughtfulness. His life insurance kept her family together and enabled us to carry on. My father loved us enough to expect the unexpected. Learn more at lifehappens.org, a public service message from the nonprofit Life Foundation. Welcome back as we continue to meet with Peter Mazareas, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Strategic Advancement Group and Chairman Emeritus of the College Savings Foundation. Peter, before the break, we were talking about a lot of the problems facing parents and how important it is for them to be working with their kids, working with the people at their kids' schools. And it's not too early to start in grade school planning for that college and the admissions process and what kind of things the kids need to do while they're in high school to make themselves a good candidate for the best of schools. But we also were talking about the financial impact. And let's dig in a little bit deeper. It seems like 529s right now might provide the most flexible tool for saving for college. Can we talk about that a little bit? 
Sure. 529s were established by the federal government to encourage people to save and avoid debt. They're the most generous tax provisions available in the code for a whole range of reasons. One is the money grows tax-free, and you can take it out if used for qualified higher education. Expenses totally tax-free, and that includes full expenses at college, including housing and books. In addition to that, there's a very unique feature in 529 in that the contributor, who is the owner or the parent, will retain ownership of the account, but yet it's off their estate. Even though they gift it to the beneficiary, it's off their estate, but they control it, and they have the ability to change it among their siblings, their all families, without any tax consequences. So there's a lot of very unique features, great investment vehicles. Every state offers one, ranging from money market funds to equity portfolios. So great program, great features, and folks should really look at 529 as a very nice approach to saving on a tax-free basis. I know one thing for grandparents, it is a great vehicle, at least to plant the seed money, because usually they're in a good position to do that. One of the difficulties that are facing a lot of families today is the entry point in order to get in these plans. I know most plans that I've seen require a minimum of a $50 a month coming out automatically out of a checking account or $1,000 or sometimes even as much as $2,500 that you have to commit to starting one of these plans. And I know a lot of plans are starting to come out with a type of friends and family program where if one family member at least plants the seed money, it makes it available for deposits from all the family members. So right now I go to any of our nieces or nephews' homes, including my own home when my kids were growing up, and they got every video game under the sun, every DVD, they got TVs, they got all the toys, and it's just all over the place. And where do those all accumulate from? Our Christmas gifts, holiday gifts, birthdays, all this stuff. And typically, if you were to survey the kids and ask them where all these gifts came from or where all these toys came from, they probably couldn't name them a week after they received them. But to be able to give them one of the greatest gifts, the gift of education, once you start that seed money, many hands make light work. And it's something that a lot of families can consider. And with so many people having an interest in that child, rather than it just being the burden of the parents or the grandparents, it can be the whole family and everybody who honors that kid on those special days. Oh, precisely. Almost every program has what you just label a gift of education, where if there's an existing account, friends and family, anyone can contribute to that account. In addition to that, there's some programs that have been established that make it easy for parents to contribute and families and friends. So that's a really good strategy for birthdays, for holidays, and every little bit counts. And there's also loyalty programs that build up assets. So there's a whole range of different strategies. But one of the things that you said that was critical was systematic deposits, meaning every month, 25 50 $100 coming out of the checking account because it's just human nature that you delay writing a check or making an investment. But if you have it coming out of your checking account every week, every month, it just accumulates and it's amazing. And one of the things we found that folks that save systematically tend to save about 70% more than those that don't. 
Now, we've talked about contributions. Let's talk about distributions. I have parents ask all the time, now, if I'm going to take money out and it's an eligible expense, do I have to have receipts? Do I send those with my tax return? How does it work? Okay, two things. These programs are designed to be consumer-friendly. They could actually call their program provider and say, my son is going to UCLA or Emerson College. Here's their student's ID number. Send their check to Emerson College. And they'll send the full amount to Emerson College, whatever you so designate. Or you could just pay the bill and call the program provider, and they'll send you a personal check you deposit in your checking account. The key is that you have to match up qualified educational expenses, which pretty much all the expenses, for the same calendar year. So it's easy to take a distribution. You can either have the program manager pay the school, or you can get the check and pay the school yourself. But you just have to match that up. Now, what if I'm blessed to have a full scholarship? What happens with the 529 plan? Oh, that's great. Generally, if you have a full scholarship, then there's no penalty in terms of a distribution. And when you take it out, it's really taxed at the child's rate. So there is a benefit there in terms of both death and scholarship. In case of death and disability and scholarship, when you take the money out, then essentially there's no penalty. All right. And the last thing is, I know you are involved in the College Savings Foundation. If people want information, I know they have a wealth of resources available. How do they get to that? Well, we have College Savings Foundation website, which is collegesavingsfoundation.org. And there's another good website, which is savingforcollege.org which also lists available 529 programs and information. But the collegesavingsfoundation.org is an organization consisting of 529 program providers, and their mission is to help families save, so there's some valuable information there as well. And do they have some calculators and perhaps a range of different costs of schools or a range to help parents plan? College Savings Foundation does not have that, but then you click on to the program participants, and on their websites there will be college calculators, and some will have college search sites. Right now, there's no place where a family can go and get comprehensive planning tools, and I think that will be coming in the future. But for now, everything is a little bit fragmented, which makes it frustrating for families. For example, college calculator, how much will college X cost me in 18 years? And then the college search process, which is another whole process on the computer. And then there's also college financing process. So it's a very complicated process for families. And the smartest thing for them to do is start preparing, working with their financial advisor, working with the college counselor at their high school, and trying to have a long vision in terms of what they need to do each step along the way. The other available recommended site would be the College Board, and that provides some search information about colleges, meaning, you know, degrees, rank, SAT scores, number of applicants. What's important for families also to make decisions on is clearly which colleges they select and the cost and what the options are in terms of graduation rates. And that information is available. You mentioned that you talk about a four-year college degree. Right now, unfortunately, it takes six years for the average college kid to graduate from college. That's a shocking statistic. So you're not looking just at paying for four years. You're paying for six years. And that's a trend that just is shocking everybody this year. Well, you know, it's like any other type of planning you do. Don't go it alone and don't wait till the last minute. 
You talked about all the different resources that are available. You cannot start too soon. Obviously, going back to your financial advisor can help you maybe do some of the calculations once you determine what type of school you're going to go. Are you going to be living at home? Are you going to be staying on campus, private versus public? There's such a myriad of choices, but to wait till nine months before college starts, you might be a little bit behind the eight ball. Peter, we'd really want to thank you for joining us. You've been a wealth of information, and hopefully we've inspired a few families to start a little sooner in this planning process for their kids and grandkids. I hope so. That is critical. Come senior year, the parents will be overwhelmed, the students will not properly be served, and the end result will not be a good lifetime decision for the student or the family. Well, thanks again. We look forward to hearing from you in the near future. Thank you, Jim and Tony. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.